Hi, and welcome to Clue Podcast. Clue is an organization under the Norwegian Council for Africa. We are the gender and equality group, and we work with activists and artists, mainly from the African continent, to create awareness about topics related to gender and equality in Africa by organizing events. Part of our work is to spread information through social media with the aim to contribute to a more nuanced perception of the continent. In each of these podcasts, we will aim to focus on different developmental issues. The theme of this first episode is sexual violence in war conflict. Uh, with me today is Naisha Vera. She studied at Midland State University in Zimbabwe and graduated with an honors degree in development studies. Currently, she is in Norway working as a communications and campaigns advisor for SAI. Hi, Naisha. Hey, Karina. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. Great. Um, so this episode is about um, sexual violence in war and conflict. By definition, wartime sexual violence is rape or other forms of sexual violence committed by combatants during armed conflict, war or military occupation, often as spoils of war. But sometimes, particularly in ethnic conflict, the phenomenon has broader sociological motives. This topic has gotten a lot of focus lately, partly due to Nobel Peace Prize winner Dennis Mugawe and Nadia Murad, but sadly the concept of fusing sexual violence as a tool is not a new phenomenon. Sexual violence takes place when the norms of society are dissolved. We have examples from Yugoslavia, Syria, Rwanda and Congo to name a few. How widespread it is varies from conflict to conflict, but according to Joel Jakobsen, professor in social science at NTNU, it occurs in almost any conflict where civil society are in near contact with the warring parties. Lately, we've been witnessing lots of demonstration in Zimbabwe, which started as a protest against the increase of fuel prices in mid-January of this year. We've been hearing about brutal violence from government forces as a response to the demonstration, also including rape. Tell us, Naisha, what is this? So what's been happening um, is a result, like you said, of the increase in fuel prices in mid-January. So this caused a lot of demonstrations in Zimbabwe um, and a lot of civil unrest. So what happened was there was um, uh, the army uh, intercepted Mm -hmm. and this then resulted in some women uh, being sexually violated during the demonstrations. So the internet was shut down Um, So it was very hard for people to then also report or to even document what had happened to them, which then resulted in the hashtag Black Wednesday movement, um, where most women in Zimbabwe were wearing black in solidarity with the rape victims um, during those two days um, when there was a civil unrest in Zimbabwe and an internet shutdown. So pretty much that's... What happened? <laughs> in short. In short, yes. We know sexual violence can be used as a calculated strategy and as a form of tool to humiliate or control groups of people. Is this something that we can say about the situation in Zimbabwe as well? Um, in this instance, not necessarily. Um, I think it was mostly because of um, the opportunist soldiers, actually. So in this instance, it wasn't um, a calculated strategy. It's probably army officials who felt like, you know what, this is a chance for us to do this, and they just did it, which ended up in females being raped 
mm-hmm. and being taken advantage of because they knew that there's no way they could document this as there was no internet to even show it if they had the power to do it. So in this regard, I don't think it was calculated, but it has been in the past. Um, for example, in 2008, uh, when we had our elections, there were reports that most of the politicians' wives were sexually assaulted as a way to threaten or intimidate the male candidates. So you find that most of the women who were sexually violated or raped would not even tell their husbands that this happened uh, with fear of divorce or fear of stigma because of what had happened to them. So it has been used in other instances, but not uh, not in this year. Mm. Mm, yeah. In the same way that you were just talking about how politicians' wives would not... Um, say anything for mm. fear of stigma. Reports are saying that the women who've been raped are too scared to report these incidences to police as well. Mm-hmm. But also that police do not want to take their reports out of fear of repercussions from the military. Do you have any reflections around the relationship between the police and the military in Zimbabwe? Yes. Um, so the police are not the most uh, popular or most liked uh, people in Zimbabwe. Um, that's due to the fact that they are not as professional as they're supposed to be. For example, in regards to traffic rules, in regards to reporting a simple case even of theft, they're not, um, you know, they don't act as quick as they're supposed to. So you find that when we had the um, shutdown Zimbabwe in November 2017, um, people viewed the army as our rescuers because mm-hmm. they were sort of a military coup, coup that happened but people really felt as though the army um, had our best interests at heart. And then automatically, because we already had um, some form of resentment for the police, there was that huge divide of people saying, we are pro-army and not for the police. So that like um, developed a rift between both the army and the police, such that they are not as, they're not best friends, mm-hmm. so to say. It's a nice way to put it. Yeah, they're not best friends, no. Sexual abuse in Zimbabwe is widespread. According to the Zimbabwe Statistical Office between 2010 and 2016, there was an 81% increase in sexual violence with at least 22 people being raped every day. What do you think is the reason behind this dramatic increase in society in general? So there are a number of reasons why we have an increase in sexual violence. Um, I'll just mention a few. Um, So for the first one, it could be alcoholism. You find that um, just abuse of substance, it can be drugs, it can be alcohol, has led to like a high increase in these sexual violence um, against women and men and boys actually. And then there's the other issue of unresponsive victim-friendly units. So you find that most police stations have what they call victim-friendly units where rape uh, victims can go and report so most women who've gone to these centers feel more ashamed after mm-hmm. reporting a case. So now people, a lot of people fear going there or even talking about their ordeal. And then the other issue is the fear and stigma that comes with being a rape victim. So you find that because the culprits or perpetrators know that people don't report, they continue to rape and they continue Mm. to take advantage of those situations which then in turn you know gives them more confidence to keep doing it because they know no one is going to report me anyway and then the other issue 
is how women are depicted in society as sex objects. We have um, this genre of music called Zim Dancehall, which is very good in educating people about various issues. But at the same time, some of their lyrics are degrading to women, and women are just merely seen as sexual objects or people who are just, you know, ready for sex or mm-hmm. more sexually enticing just because they're women. Um, and then the other thing is the justice system in Zimbabwe. You find that um, someone who would have stolen cattle can get more years in prison than someone who's raped someone. So there's lack of you know trust in the justice system because a lot of people who rape people just go scot-free at times. And it just demoralizes anyone who wants to report a case on rape. Mm. Yeah. Women who had been raped were encouraged by NGOs to report it. Has any of the reported cases been investigated since? So, so far, um, I have no concrete information on how many cases have been reported or investigated yet. But some of the reporters in Zimbabwe were saying that um, the army and the police have requested that the women who have been raped should report to the army or to the police who raped them, um, which has been compared to asking a mosquito about malaria. Like, why would I ask? Why would mm. I tell the army or the police who raped me when we all know it's them or they contributed to it? So um, there's no concrete information on how many people were raped and by whom because most of the army officials were probably wearing masks, so it's hard to identify who raped who. Mm -hmm. Um, And even in a court of law, you need to show proof as to who raped you. And the other thing is, as I mentioned earlier on, um, the lack of confidentiality um, in regards to the victim-friendly unit that, you know, if I can compare it to maybe a health department in a university or in a public hospital, where some of your documents are not as confidential as they're supposed to be. Someone has open access to your files, which can even put you at risk if you report such. So as of now, I am not quite sure on how many cases have been investigated since that. Yeah. Yeah, and very hard to investigate when very hard. you can't identify who the perpetrator was. Yes. We've had international rules against sexual-based violence particularly in war I'm speaking about now. Mm. I know you said that wasn't quite the situation with the Mm. um, police recently, but specifically in war. These rules have been there for at least a decade, but it's very seldom that anyone is actually convicted. Mm. For example, in Rwanda as well, um, no one was convicted for this in the 1990s. Why is it, do you think, that so few are convicted? Um, Mostly it's probably political ties and political influence in most cases because you find that if it's a politically motivated rape or sexual assault no one will ever get equipped for it or no one will ever get arrested for it because they can quickly you know manipulate the system and go scot-free so I think corruption and political power is the reason why you know it's not reported or, you know... Like I said, yeah, yeah. yeah, or not enforced. Yeah, not mm. enforced, yes. 
So I'm, I'm speaking to you from Norway. Mm-hmm. So how do you think the international society can react? So the international society can react in so many ways. Um, I think the first one being solidarity in regards to talking about these issues. Um, there is power in voices. There's power in you know speaking for others on behalf of others. So I feel that if, let's say, for example, the Norwegian civil society can speak on behalf of Zimbabwean civil society in parliament, this can help in regards to pushing um, certain, you know, rules or certain, um, you know, certain important decisions to be made in regards to rape victims or any sexual uh, related crimes. Um, and I also feel like um, raising awareness about rape is something that the international community can help with because I feel a lot of women, especially in Zimbabwe, are not aware of their sexual rights. They're not aware of the power of saying no. They don't know if they should say no to the police or to the army because mm-hmm. of fear. So I think raising awareness on what they are supposed to do when they are in such a situation is something that you know we can get help with and then i think also for providing um probably self-defense trainings as well from you know perspectives of Norway or other countries would be nice so that you know women are in a position to know that if this is to happen to me i can defend myself in this way or in that way um, and then advocacy on sexual reproductive health rights information is also good um, and could also help, you know, Zimbabweans and other African countries in regards to reducing the amount of sexual violence or sexual crime that's going on. That would be the way forward, you think? Yeah. 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 Okay, well, thank you so much for being with us here today, Nisha. And Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening. This was our first podcast. As I mentioned, part of our work is to do with creating awareness about issues related to gender inequality. We hope to be in your speakers soon with a new episode. Stay tuned. Every last Wednesday of the month, the Council holds an event on different topics of the month related to our aims. Clue's next event will be on the 24th of April and the 25th anniversary of the Sexual Reproductive Health and Rights Cairo Conference. We hope to see you soon.